Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. Paul reminds us in verses 4 through 6, seven doctrines that unify us. Seven doctrines that we can all participate in. We can all know. We can all have. And let's just look at them very quickly. It's seven things. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Seven doctrines. And guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you have access to all seven of them in equal proportion. Everybody has an equal amount of this. Nobody got more of one than the other. One body, that is the church, that is the church universal, that is the whole body of Christ in the world. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer. One hope of your calling, that's your calling to salvation. And it's saying, you got all the promises of God. She didn't get more promises than you. You got one hope, one hope of your calling. When you're called to salvation, you got all the promises and that great hope of being in heaven with him one day. All of us got the same thing. One Lord, who is Jesus Christ. One faith. That is not acts of faith, but that is the entire content of the Word of God. You got it all. She doesn't have more than you. We all have it all. One baptism. That is a spiritual baptism immersed in the Holy Spirit. The moment of salvation. It is not a subsequent experience. It is not something we must wait for. It is not something we must ask for later. It comes now. In other words... When you come to Christ, you get all Jesus you're ever going to get, and that means the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're sitting in this room unequal. I got the Holy Spirit. Mm, You don't. You don't have to wait a little while longer. That puts us on unequal ground, doesn't it? We got the Holy Spirit. Now, what is unequal is how surrendered are you? But these are the things that unify us. But guess what? There are also things about the body of Christ that are different. We can be unified, but we're not uniform. We don't all look alike. We all have different personalities. God is so creative. He made us all different. We look different. We have different likes, and, 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 and we're all different numbers on the Enneagram. We're, we're, anybody ever? Did I say that right? Because you went like this. Because I, 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 I always say that word wrong. There are natural abilities. We all have different natural abilities. And in the world of natural abilities, things are not always equal. Let me tell you some natural abilities. Sports, athletics. Some people are just good at it and some people are not. Music. Music is a natural ability. You know how I know they're natural abilities? Because lost people have them too. God made people good creations and and People have natural abilities because they're God's good creation. Some people are mechanically inclined. That's a natural ability. Some people are technically inclined or electronically inclined or they're very intelligent or they're very artistic and creative. Those are all natural abilities. And in the the world and in the church, natural abilities differ. You can have somebody that's athletic and somebody more athletic. Somebody that's a good singer and somebody that's a better singer. But that's not how we operate in the church. Because Paul says something in verse 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We are given spiritual gifts. 
We're given a gift that is given to us at the moment of salvation. It is decided on by God. It is dispensed to us by the Holy Spirit. And that word gifts is the word grace. It is a gift of grace. You didn't get to pick it. You didn't get to choose it. God chose it for you. Now, does he use our natural abilities? Yeah, he does. He does use our natural abilities within the body of Christ. But the great thing about working within the body of Christ is that he infuses our natural ability with a spiritual gift. Now, I, Jackson's not... Oh, here you are, Jackson. I'm going to pick on you for just a minute, okay? I really don't know Jackson, so if, I, if I'm way off base, don't tell him, okay? Jackson is the media person for the church. He's a, kind of like a communications person. He runs all the sound. He, he does all this technical stuff. You know what? That's a natural ability. And he can learn more about it, and he can gain more education in that. It, it is just, I couldn't do that if you, if you paid me because I don't have that natural ability. But you see, Jackson has more than a natural ability because he's taking that natural ability, and somehow God has infused in him this heart of a servant, this gift of service. And now he can take that natural ability and he uses it within the body of Christ as a servant to glorify God and to build up the body of Christ. He gives spiritual gifts. Now, Paul is not trying to give us a, uh, a long um, teaching here on spiritual gifts. If you, if you want to know more about spiritual gifts, you go to Romans 12. You go to 1 Corinthians 12. There's longer lists, greater explanation of the spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 is not a comprehensive list. He's using it to make a point. He's saying within the church, there are these things that unify us. The doctrines unify us. We're to operate in unity, but we are different in the body of Christ, and we are different because God has dispensed to us spiritual gifts. Lisa, back there, my friend Lisa, we, we are as different as night and day, but we make a great team when we're working on these kind of Bible studies because, let me just give you an example. I'm a teacher, my head is so in the clouds sometimes when I'm getting ready for these. I was up at 5.30 this morning looking for notes I wrote seven years ago to find a definition of a word that fit. And that's what I was doing at 5.30 this morning. And I am not for one minute thinking about what the outline looks on a piece of paper. I could care less. I just take a piece of paper and write down some notes. I mean, she makes me do an outline. She makes me be a little more organized. And then she takes what I write, my poor attempt at being organized, and she makes it look even better. Because Lisa has a spiritual gift of administration. I don't. There's not a bone in my body that is administrative. Lisa doesn't like to be in front of people. I'm really more comfortable in front of people than I am talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. God has gifted us in very different ways. But we have all these unifying things, but our, the way we operate within the body of Christ is very different. And then Paul is going to give us some really hard verses. And I almost skipped these verses, but they're quite meaningful. And I want to try to explain them as, to my best ability. Look what he says in verse 8. He's just said that we have these gifts according to grace. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, verse 9. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I'm telling you, I don't care who preaches those verses, they will say these are tough verses. But when you look at them in the context of spiritual gifts, they are so meaningful. Paul is again using a word picture that the culture of the day would have clearly understood what he was talking about. In the ancient cultures, even leading up to the Greek and the Roman culture, there was a, um, a, um, a way of doing battle. When a general would go out to do battle and he would win the battle... He would come back into the city or the village in a triumphant parade. And Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. It was a triumphant parade of here's the general in his chariot coming back into the city, this victorious general, and chained to his chariot are the people that he has captured. And behind the people that he has captured are the spoils of war, all the, the, the money and the, 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 the stuff that they have captured from those people. And as that conquering general comes into the city, he goes to the temple or the palace or the highest place of authority in the city, and he gives those people and that stuff to the king. And the king receives those gifts... And then he decides how to disperse them throughout the kingdom. Now, that's the picture that Paul is giving us. That same picture is in Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. It was an ancient, ancient way of coming home from battle. And he says, Now, he who ascended on high and led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He is taking that ancient picture of the general, the conquering general coming home from battle, and he is applying it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying, Christ is the conquering general. He has come to the lowest part. It says he's descended to the lowest part. It's not talking about hell. He's saying he descended to the lowest form of death, death on Calvary. He bore the lowest, most humiliating death. He was buried and he rose and then he ascended to heaven, that highest place of authority, heaven. And he gives to God us. And John tells us that Jesus said in chapter 14 of John, I must go to the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down and dispersed the gifts to mankind. Okay, that's a great picture. What does it mean to you and me? Your spiritual gift came at a very high cost. Christ had to fight the battle on Calvary. He had to conquer sin, grave, hell. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. The Spirit came. Those gifts are dispersed. Your spiritual gift is not something you just flippantly go, I don't know what I got in the church. It is something that you value because Christ 
died, rose, and ascended so you could be gifted within the body of Christ. That spiritual gift is valuable, and we are to walk worthy of that gift. And he says in verse 11, To some he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Again, he is not giving some exhaustive list. He's just naming a few, but he says the purpose of a spiritual gift, the things that are different about us, is to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God. So what does that say? How are we supposed to operate in this Unity, walking worthy with our spiritual gift. First, you've got to figure out what your spiritual gift is. How you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. You just go to work in the church somewhere. You just start serving. And in the place where you find yourself having the most joy, the most peace, and the most spiritual fruit, you got it. Your spiritual gift is somehow being exercised in that area. But it also means we are not to neglect our spiritual gift that was given to us at a high cost. We are not to neglect the body of Christ where those spiritual gifts are exercised. Now, you know, the world out there is going to benefit from your spiritual gift because you're going to, it's going to leak out on, on them too when you use it out there. But it is primarily for the body of Christ. And if you're disconnected from the body of Christ, you're, you're not using the gift that God's given you. Somebody is missing out on the blessing of you. But here's an important one. We are not to critique, criticize, or compare someone who is gifted differently than you. Because guess what? You didn't get to choose your gift. God chose it. It's a gift of grace. And you know, somebody that is a teacher and somebody that's an administrator and somebody who has mercy and somebody who is a servant, we can all look at the exact same situation and see it differently. Do you know that? We're not going to see anything the same way. And I'm not to critique you because you see that situation differently than me. I'm supposed to listen to what you have to say. And we're supposed to work in harmony with one another, fitted together like ligaments in a body. He's going to tell us that in verse 16, fitted together, each one of us doing what we're supposed to do, operating in humility and meekness and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love, preserving with peace, even though we're different. So there is a unity of things that are alike. There is a unity in the things that are different. And there is maturity in Christ as we close tonight. Look at verse 13. We're to operate in this way until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Maturity is the goal. Everything that we go through, people that we work with, the jobs that we have in our church, the sitting under the Word of God, it is all maturing us in Christ. And maturing when he says that we attain to the unity of the faith, that faith, remember, that we talked about in those one thing, is the Word of God. It's the teaching of God. You will never be, a, listen to me, you will never be a mature believer in Christ apart from the Word of God at work in your life. Sitting under the Word of God, reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, praying the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, singing the Word of God. The Word of God has got to seep into every pore of your life. 
It is transformational. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that? The Word of God does that. When Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith, how is He comfortable in our lives? Because He reveals to us what needs to be gotten rid of through the Word of God. You're never going to be mature apart from the Word of God. It is not just something you flip open every once in a while and have your quiet time. It is, the, it is the bread that you eat every day. It is the meat that sustains you every day. It is the truth that you embed in your life every single day. And we must feed ourselves the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That word knowledge is not just head knowledge. It is not talking about knowing God as, as far as salvation, but it is a full knowledge that is accurate and has a direct influence on the way we live. Growing up to be a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ-likeness is the end goal. And guess what? Christ is the measure of that. As long as we are comparing ourselves to other people, we will always be better than somebody or worse than somebody. Well, I'm a, I, I can never be a Christian like her. Well, then stop comparing yourself to her. Look at Christ. Well, I sure am a whole lot better than her. I've never done that. Stop looking at her. Christ is the measure. We are to be have the fullness of Christ. And when we are mature believers, there are going to be marks on us. There are going to be characteristic quali qualifiers in our lives that when we look at one another, we understand she is maturing in Christ. And let me tell you something. Maturing is not a one-time thing. It is a lifelong process. Look what, look what those marks of ma maturity are. 14 is incredible. As a result, we are no longer to be children, babies, immature, childish, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. When we are mature in Christ, we are stable people. Stable. Did I write that down for you or did you? Okay, underline it then. Children are weak in their faith. We are to be strong in our faith. And that first phrase, not tossed here and there by waves. I believe Paul is talking about two things in this verse. I believe he's saying not tossed about by wind and waves. That's your circumstances. You're not uprooted every time something bad happens. You're not falling apart every time something bad happens. Joshua 1.9, remember we said Joshua is, is a historic version, so to speak, of Ephesians. Well, in Joshua 1.9... God says this to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know what the word dismayed means? It means don't crack under the pressure. How many times as, as women things happen in our life and we are just emotional basket cases just absolutely falling apart. We can't take the pressure. Why? Because we, we don't trust God. It doesn't mean we can't be emotional. It doesn't mean we can't be sad. It doesn't mean we, we can't... We can't experience the grief of a situation, they say, don't fall apart. Don't crack under the pressure. Don't be tossed about by your circumstances. But not only our circumstances, we are not to be influenced by false doctrine. Carried about 
by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness of deceitful scheming. We are to be so grounded in the word that we know the truth when we hear it. And if we're not sure it's the truth, we, go, we know where to go to find out if it's the truth. Let me tell you something, ladies. Any, just because something has the word Christian slapped over it doesn't mean it's of it's God or it has any kind of truth in it. There are a lot of shysters out there who have Christian labels. There's a lot of music out there that's supposed to be Christian music, and it, there's nothing about it Christian. It's bad doctrine. Catchy melodies. We should be discerning about that. But then there's some words in there that I, that I think are, are real important for us to understand. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. That word trickery it is the same word in the classical Greek as loaded dice. The dice are loaded. Why? To deceive, to trick. There, there's people that, that want us to be deceived. I'm telling you, read Facebook. There's some bad information out there, bad doctrine out there. And then craftiness, pay attention to this because we're going to get to this in depth later on. Craftiness in deceitful scheming. That word craftiness means clever manipulation to make an error look like the truth. And then deceitful scheming. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us, and we're going to talk about this in our last week together, stand firm and resist the schemes of the devil. That word schemes means organized plan of attack. So now we're talking about the craftiness of deceitful scheming. We're not just talking about the shysters out there. We're talking about the enemy himself. And guess what? The enemy, and we're going to talk about this more. You don't have to write these down. I'll put them in your notes. I'll put them in your notes again on week six. The enemy has a plan. And his plan is the same stuff packaged over and over and over, but he packages it in a way that's very specific to you. And he uses our flesh to entice us. You see, because the, the, the devil can't be everywhere at one time. But he's very observant. And he will, he will use the world to entice our flesh. But this is what he does. He has, a, three, he has a, a three-pronged scheme. The first one is he wants to destroy our unity with God, our family, and with other believers. That's the first thing he wants to do. He wants to destroy your unity with God, with family, your family, and with other believers. But the second thing he wants to do is entice us into sin. And he'll use the word to entice our flesh. He wants to entice us into sin. But here's the third thing. He wants to lead us into false doctrine, capturing our minds to either lure us into darkness or to keep us in darkness. False doctrine will do that. It'll keep you in darkness. You have a wrong thought, a wrong attitude, a wrong, a, a wrong picture of who God is. Oh, the enemy wants you to hang on to that one. And the greatest, the primary tactic for accomplishing those three goals is to ca cast doubt on God's word. That's the way he accomplishes everything. We start doubting God's word. I don't really believe that. I'm not sure that it really applies to me. A stable, mature Christian is grounded in the truth. But the next thing is they speak the truth in love, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. We know the truth and we're to speak the truth. But to speak truth without love is to be brutal. To speak love without truth is to be a hypocrite. They go together. We speak truth in love. And then he says, we are interdependent on one another. 
from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which the joint supplies according to the proper working of every individual part. You're the individual part. And now we work together. We are interdependent on one another to grow up the body, the building, building up of love, building up of itself in love. We are the mark of a Christian. The mark of a mature Christian is that we're connected to other believers and that we are serving in the body of Christ. They're going to put a picture up for me as I close tonight. There's Henry. That's my dog. That was our Christmas present to one another, Alan and I. I don't know why we were so hateful to one another that year. Henry is 10 months old. He's part sheepdog and part poodle. He's the most stubborn, hyperactive dog we have ever owned. Henry has sweet moments, and he's cute, and that's the only reason he still lives at our house. <laughs> and Alan's out of town right now, so I've had to walk Henry four times a day all by myself. We don't have a fenced-in yard. We just have to walk, walk him, pick it up, and walk him again. But you know what Henry does? He resists the leash. He's done it from the day we got him. I had a little collar on him walking him. And Henry just pulled around. And the neighbors started saying to me, You're, that dog's going to get hurt. Have you ever thought of putting a harness on him instead of a, a, a collar? I said, well, okay, we'll try that. So I bought a harness when he was littler, smaller. Guess what? Henry thought he was a sled dog. And he pulled me around. I mean, that harness just empowered the work dog in him, that old English sheepdog part of him. And he just pulled me and pulled me and pulled me and pulled me. And then someone suggested, as he got a little bit bigger, that maybe I should get a pinch collar. Not a choke collar, a pinch collar. And, it, and it's a metal collar that loops through. And, and then when he's acting up, you it just g- grab him and pinch him. And it doesn't work good when he has all his hair. That's his summer cut. But in the summer cut, boy, it kind of works because it grabs his skin. But guess what? He resists even that. Last night, I took that dog out. And Henry is real agile. He's like a deer. He, he can jump up and flip all the way around and grab the leash and put it in his mouth and just shake it. Well, you know who's at the other end of that leash? <laughs> Me. I, I, I ended up in the doctor's office in July with a black eye, a, a bum shoulder, and skin knees because Henry pulled me to the ground on the sidewalk. Neighbors came out and had to pick me up. People I don't even know. <laughs> this unruly dog. So someone suggested an e-collar. E stands for electric. And we have two. And last night, I was so sick of that dog grabbing that leash and yanking me around. I said, I'm going to put the electric collar on you. He had on a regular collar, a pinch collar, and an e-collar. That that kid, that dog had this much of his nose covered in collars. And I had a little remote thing, and and it'll beep, it'll vibrate, or it'll shock. And shock goes from zero to 100, and I had it on 25, and I was ready to zap him. I was sick of him. He walked like an angel. Took it off this morning. Hey, there he goes, flipping around. I mean, he, this is a crazy dog. You know why? He won't submit to me. He will not surrender to me. I'm a good dog owner, and I love Henry. I, I'm not going to get rid of him right now. I'm going to keep him. I love him. He's part of our family. We got rid of five kids and lost our minds and got a dog. I, 
but he will not submit to me. But you know what would happen if he would? We'd go on longer walks. I'd take him everywhere. I'd take him on trips with me. I, I would take him to stores that would let him go in. I'd take him on Main Street. We'd go get ice. We would do all kinds of stuff together because I really love being with Henry. But he will not submit to me. Ladies, listen to me. That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith and that we would be filled up to the fullness of God means we submit. And when we submit, when we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we begin to live life on a plane we never imagined. You see, Henry's living in bondage. He's got three collars on him when he really could live in freedom if he just learned to obey. Some of you and some, sometimes me too, we live in bondage to things. And Christ is saying, let me set you free. And the only way to live in freedom is to surrender to me. Pride is bondage. Surrender is great freedom. And Paul is saying, surrender completely. And as you surrender, I will give you this divine capacity to live as I have designed you to live in humility and gentleness and patience forbearing in love, preserving the unity of the bond and the believers to live out in this diversity of your spiritual gift, building up the body of Christ, marked like a mature person in Christ, stable, not falling apart every time the wind blows, not believing everything that comes down the pike, speaking truth in love, working together with other believers, surrendered to Christ brings a freedom that we have never fully known. Read that prayer this week over and over and over. Ask God to bring you to the point where you are willing to fall to your face and say, I surrender, Lord. I surrender whatever you want to do in me, however long it takes, whatever I have to clean up, whatever I have to confess, whatever I have to forsake. I want to do that. I want to live in freedom. I want to walk worthy of being a child of the Most High. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us, that you are forbearing in love with us, that you are patient and merciful to us, that you are gentle and humble. Father, help us, empower us to walk with you in perfect balance with who we are in Christ. Make us sensitive to hear your spirit. Make us hungry to read your word. I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.